sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Deputy Attorney General Rosenstein, Rod Rosenstein, um, should have just said, we think this guy is a sleaze. There must be something there. And now we have Manafort and 17 very talented prosecutors who, <laughs> who are also liberal Democrats just searching for crimes of anyone around Donald Trump. You know, the, the, the whole thing raises more suspicion that the FBI politicized uh, these investigations during the election and it just begs for an outside independent prosecutor to go back through this evidence uh, through, through these emails and see if the FBI was trying to cover up material evidence in this case. To, to me the headline would be Manafort convicted of a bunch of stuff that have nothing to do with Russian collusion. It should be an onion headline, right? <laughs> Two-year investigation and tons of resources and tons of money reveals white-collar people shady. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and now, Stacy Washington. Hey, hey, hey. Hello, citizens of America. <laughs> it's my pleasure to be with you. Also holding citizenship to this great land, which means I have rights and privileges that no other person without those same citizenship proof, those papers, can uh, claim. That's a part of being an American. So <laughs> welcome to the show. Uh, it's Tuesday and we have a jam-packed program for you to include someone very special who was here last week, who's back again this week, but this time to talk about how the Democrats are trying to steal the heritage of black Americans and just pass it out to any old Tom, Dick or Jenny who might be interested in having a little piece of it. So we'll be talking to Ann Coulter. But first, we actually have Obianuju Ikuocha. She's a founder and president of culture at Life Africa. She's an author, a pro-life speaker. She's our guest in the next segment. And then third segment, we'll have Ann Coulter. And then in hour two, we're going to be speaking to Carmen. He goes by one name because he is a 10 million plus album selling Grammy award winning Christian artist who's written some of the songs that we hum. And, and as we're doing our work around the house, we know them by heart. We've heard them since we were children. He wrote and sung those songs. So he's going to be on with us uh, promoting his new concert that he's having. It's so uh, free concert tour. It's going to be really fantastic. So he's going to come on and talk to us about that. Um, I would love to just point you to my Twitter and StacyOnTheRight.com where you can follow and subscribe and never miss anything. Uh, so right now, let's get into the show. There's this guy. His name's Jimmy Dore. He has a show. And he's a liberal. But this is my second time seeing him featured on a website that I frequent where he's saying things that it's not typical for liberals to say. And periodically throughout the show, you'll see me fanning myself for those who are streaming with my little Tupelo fan. They gave me this as a part of my Tupelo welcome packet from the Marriage and Family Conference. It's just, it's the gift that keeps on giving because it's hot in here. St. Louis is burning up. We're in the 90s, but effective temperature is like a well over 100. It's hot. And so it's hot in here too. AC's blasting and it's still super hot. Um, so you'll see me doing this a little bit through the show. Never fear, all is well. So Jimmy Dore, makes this point on his show, I found it so astounding, not because we haven't kind of made this point before on the program or that you're not all aware of it, but it's so important for us to counter the narratives of the left. 
when when we have these conversations here on the show, when when we're communicating back and forth and you guys are calling in and we're having this this it's a dialogue. You know what really rocks about it? That every time we're telling the truth on this show, it counters at least 18 of the lies that are being told elsewhere. And honestly, so I, I made it through Ann Coulter's book. And just like the other books of hers that I've read, it is the primer on. So whatever subject matter she covers in a book, she covers it to the point that there it's irrefutable. So if someone says uh, she doesn't know, she no, sorry, you can you can dispute um, things in the book based, you know, bring your own sources and dispute the, the things that she puts in the book. But you can't say she's not informed or that she doesn't have the sources in the back for you to verify or that it's not multiple source. So instead of just saying, I found this on this website, therefore it's true, she finds all of the source material and puts together the picture where she completely takes apart whatever the subject matter is, whether it's James Comey or the FBI or the CIA. She went back 20, 30, 40, 50 years on the CIA and the FBI and cataloged their dereliction of duty in in this book. And that's why I can't take you seriously if you're going to criticize someone who's gone to the trouble of writing a book. It's so hard. And researching it and putting it all together and then going out and talking about it and you don't even take the time to read it, that means you're out of the conversation. I might, I might tweet you a couple times, but then we're done. So you've got this guy, Jimmy Dore, and he's got this, this, I think it's a YouTube show and a radio show. I'm not really sure. All I know is I've never heard a liberal like he, he, he I don't really consider him to be a liberal Democrat because he's too hard on Democrats for that to be the case. Like, that's just not the hallmark of being a Democrat is being hard on your own side. He's talking about the Russian collusion, which it's the biggest nothing burger this century. After reading Ann Coulter's book, after looking at, we've had someone on yesterday, we had a guest on Ron, uh, an, an attorney who talked about just how much of a nothing burger this is. You've even got the people who were the original unnamed sources now coming out and saying, yeah, I lied about that. I wasn't completely honest about that. The dossier itself, the source document for this entire investigation is just basically like if I got angry at someone and went and typed up a whole bunch of stuff like that angry typing cat meme, just typed up a whole bunch of stuff, like anything I could think of that was horrible that I would say about somebody I didn't like, typed it up, made sure that it it looked neat and was at least, you know, like 50 pages and then sent it over. And someone said, you know what? We think you're an expert about this person because you have a background in the military. So we're going to go ahead and we're going to pay you for that. And I'm like, oop, I better make it really juicy. So I buff it up a little bit and make it super juicy. Stuff that's so like so salacious that even mainstream media outlets, when they got their hands on it, they're like, well, we got to really source some of this stuff up before we publish this. And then I send it over and I get paid. And I do a little TV and stuff, but mainly I just wanted to get paid and I wanted to hurt the person that I wrote the, the document about. That's what the dossier is. Christopher Steele wanting to hurt Donald Trump, writing something that was so salacious that most news media outlets wouldn't take it until they realized that Americans simply did not care. Weren't, they weren't willing to put down their coffee to think about how inconsequential it was that Hillary Clinton was still talking about her loss. Nobody cared. Everybody was like, oh, well, Donald Trump, he won. So we'll have four or eight years of Donald Trump. And it was people who liked him and people who didn't like him. And then you have your hardcore fringe leftists who are like, we can't handle this. We can't allow this to stand. We've got to have the insurance policy we were promised by the FBI. And that insurance policy is the dossier. And it's being used to the utmost of effectiveness, but it is nothing. So this guy, Jimmy Dore, starts talking about how instead of Russian collusion, Mueller 
finds that Manafort didn't pay his taxes and Cohen paid a prostitute. And he exclaims, ooh, you got him. It's number four. People see the headlines, right? Cohen pleads guilty. Uh, Manafort convicted on eight counts. And then the subheadline is, the trial was the first public test of special counsel Robert Mueller's investigation into possible Russian meddling. Whoa. So let's, well, if this was the first, wow, they got convicted on eight counts. And this was the first trial was the first public test of Robert Mueller's investigation into possible Russian meddling. Well, it sounds pretty successful. Everyone's saying that Mueller's, this is really validating it. Well, in fact, it says it in the article. It says he was convicted on five counts of tax fraud. One count of failure to file a report on foreign bank and financial accounts and two counts of bank fraud. A mistrial was declared in three counts of failing to file reports on foreign bank and financial accounts and seven counts of bank fraud and bank fraud conspiracy. So this is what they got him on, tax fraud and bank fraud. Now, I don't know if you watch this show or a regular viewer to this show, but what we've been saying since day one of this investigation is that, yes, of course, Donald Trump and his minions are corrupt, just like most people in D.C. and Wall Street. They're corrupt. And if you put a special prosecutor on them, you're going to find normal corruption. But I don't understand how this validates the first public test of of uh, Mueller's investigation into Russian meddling because none of this is about Russian meddling. None of it. This is about bank fraud and tax fraud that happened before this guy ever worked for Trump. How could that be the subheadline? This is the first public test of Robert Mueller. This is exactly what we said. Yes. And if you put a special prosecutor on anybody in Washington, D.C., they're going to find crimes. Okay, so what what is he saying there? <laughs> well, first of all, I disagree that the president is ultimately corrupt simply by virtue of the fact that he's a politician because he wasn't a politician all along. But this guy, Jimmy Dore, says all of the people on Wall Street, this, this is his opinion. If you're on Wall Street, if you're in the financial industry, if you're in banking, if you're in Washington, D.C., whether you're working as a politician or a think tank wonk, you know, everybody who has any connection to those arenas in our and, and of course, politics, he says they're all corrupt. He says that's why they did away with the special prosecutor investigation originally after the Clinton, uh, you know, Clinton special prosecutor, because they didn't get Clinton on what the original charge. They got him on lying to them about the affair with the intern. And that's what they impeached him for. And so this is a similar situation where they brought the special prosecutor thing back. They've got Trump under the microscope, and he's saying it's not just him. It's any person that you investigate, you're going to find they're doing something that they shouldn't be doing because that's the nature of the beast in Washington, D.C. It's full of corrupt people, and they're all a special prosecutor on any person you find corruption. I don't think it goes that far where you could say any, like 100 percent, but I think you would find a higher level of corruption of people who are entrenched in Washington, D.C. than you would in the general population like you just take a thousand random people from Missouri, a thousand random people from uh, Montana and, you know, a thousand random people from Arkansas and then take a thousand random people from Washington, D.C., you're probably going to find more corruption in the D.C. group just because they have more access. 
and because more people would be attempting to corrupt them to get something out of them that they want than they would some person who lives in Montana and is a rancher or some Missourian who, you know, raises cattle or pigs or, or you know, works at a, a bank here. Less access to power and people who have power. So then he brings this other bit of audio and you, okay, so first off, let's, let's first, he's talking about when he says this article that he's talking about, he's talking about a piece over at NBC News where they actually, they hide the truth inside of the article. So you have to go down about six paragraphs to find the truth in the article. And what's important about this is the title of the piece, it's Manafort convicted on eight counts, mistrial declared on 10 other charges, and it's an NBC News online piece. And then the subheading to that piece is the trial was the first public test of special counsel Robert Mueller's investigation into possible Russian meddling and obstruction of justice by Trump. Well, here's the problem with that. It's not the first test because there was no collusion that was actually a part of either of those trials. Neither of those trials covered anything that had to do with the president directly, like him ordering anything directly, other than Cohen, who's flipped, so how trustworthy is he, saying that he was told to pay the two women for the supposed affairs to keep them quiet, and they're counting that as some kind of election violation when people are paid off all the time for their silence. That happens all the time, and it's not a crime when it happens then. And it actually invalidates Mueller's investigation because... The IRS could have completed the investigation into Manafort. Most of the crimes that he committed fall under the purview of the IRS. It didn't take a special prosecutor to prosecute Manafort. So it doesn't validate it at all. In fact, it's the opposite. So the subheadline is a lie. Now, as we go out, I want to listen to Dylan Radigan breaking it down on Clinton and Obama corruption, which Democrats coincidentally care nothing about. Okay, there's the music. We can't listen to that. What we'll do as we'll listen to it on the way back in from the next break, from this break right here. We'll listen to it on the way back in, and then we'll have our guest for you, our first guest of this hour, um, the president of the Culture of Life Africa. I can't wait to talk to her. Be right back. I'm Tim Wildman, president of American Family Association and American Family Radio. You know, the very first day in Israel, when we're staying in Jerusalem, we go to the Mount of Olives. And it's there at the Mount of Olives we look out over the old city of Jerusalem. It's a spectacular sight. You've seen it in pictures before, but it's another thing to actually be there as we walk down from the Mount of Olives to the Garden of Gethsemane and we pray there. It's going to be a wonderful time with brothers and sisters from around the country visiting the Holy Land, the land of Jesus. If you want information on this March 14th through the 22nd tour, just call us and we'll send you a brochure. Call 1-800-FAMILIES, F-A-M-I-L-I-E-S, option 5, 
and leave us your name and your address and we'll mail you a brochure. Or if you want to simply go online at twholyland.com, everything's there. twholyland.com. Hi, I'm Crawford Loritz with a Legacy Moment. I saw this report one evening on the news. There had been heavy rains for several days, so the rivers and streams were beyond their capacity. The old drainage system under the city streets simply couldn't hold the volume of water. They showed this picture of a parked car that had been swallowed by a huge sinkhole. The street collapsed because of a weak, damaged drainage system. As I thought about that, I also thought about the pathways of our lives. They collapsed, too, because of the sinkholes in our hearts. Here's the deal. Sin is under the surface. When someone acts on a sin, when they tell a lie or commit adultery or steal something or they say something inappropriate and mean-spirited, it's not just the action. What produced the action is the collapse of our hearts. It's under the surface. This is the principle when Jesus spoke about adultery in Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 28. Listen to these direct words from the Master. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, But I say to you that everyone who looks on a woman to lust for her has committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus was telling the religious leaders of his time and the people listening to him, look, it's about the intentions of the heart. What's going on underneath the surface? Don't simply focus on actions. Cultivate a righteous heart. That's the message of these words. You sin long before you take action. That's what Jesus said. It's not just doing something that is wrong and evil, in this case, sexual sin. The sexual sin takes place as a desire and intention of your heart. Well, here's what I want you to remember today. Guard and strengthen your heart and mind so that you won't be sucked into sin sinkhole. Crawford Loritz is senior pastor of Fellowship Bible Church in suburban Atlanta, Georgia. For more information, go to livingalegacy.org. You can download episodes of Stacy of the Right from the podcast page on AFR.net or UrbanFamilyTalk.com. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio. And what we all Urban know Family about corruption, Talk. Dylan Radigan is going to break it down right now. So, again, while the FBI director example gives those with a partisan view against Donald Trump, and it's easy to be against Donald Trump, uh, the obvious fuel to suggest that he's a criminal who's a terrible guy, blah, 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 under investigation, probably true. But if you believe that, then you probably also need to consider that Hillary Clinton was taking money through her foundation to do weapons deals overseas while personally enriching herself, and that Barack Obama is paid off by the private health insurance companies and the banks to make sure that we don't actually have proper health care or a functioning financial system. It's hard to believe one and not accept the other two. They're all corrupt. Do I have to sit here and show you every headline about Barack Obama goes from uh, the White House to Wall Street in less than a year? Do I have to show you that? Uh, Barack Obama's uh, cabinet cashing in on Wall Street. Timothy Geithner now working for predatory lenders. Predatory. Do I have to? I really have to show you that? Do I have to show you Debbie Wasserman Schultz with the predatory lenders also? Do I have to show the corruption that's embedded in our politics? (laughs) So that's why they got rid of the special. And now it's back. And now they're finding a bunch of stuff that has nothing to do with the Russian. Nothing to do with it. So I'm, you know, it's a nothing burger. We know it's a nothing burger. The question is, how much longer do we have to deal with it? 
We'll see. And we'll get into uh, a little bit more of that with, um, you know, our, our guests. But right now we're going to be speaking with Obi Anuju Ikeocha. She's the founder and president of Culture for Life Africa, author, pro-life speaker. And she's been on the show before and we so enjoyed our time together then. It's great to speak to you again. Thank you for coming on. Thanks. Thank you for having me on. I'm really, really excited. <laughs> I'm excited because I actually happened to catch a tweet of yours where some person was questioning your blackness because of your pro-life stance. Now, you're laughing because you know you had his lunch. So you, you not only had his lunch, you had his dinner and all of his meals for the next three weeks because you did not tear into him in traditional Twitter fashion because most people go wild on Twitter. They, they, they have these knockdown drag out fights. It gets really, really nasty. You simply told him who you were, that you, where you come from, where you grew up and where you will be buried. Could you share that with us real quick before we jump into the full story right. here? Yeah, I was hoping that you, you didn't see that. <laughs> I saw it and I loved it. Week, so it had a little bit hard to me. I loved so it. So last week I was uh, commenting to Netflix. You know what, that was, I think, what got me uh, quite bothered is that I was commenting to Netflix about what a lot of us might know that Netflix had signed up this comedian or, you know, supposed that comedian, um, uh, Wolf, I think it's Michelle Wolf, who mm-hmm. had made some nasty jokes and she had made abortion jokes and they signed her up for a, uh, an entire season of show. And, and many of us complained, at least I know on Twitter, a lot of us on Twitter, we complained about the festival. I see people were saying somebody who had uh, made jokes about abortion should not be given a show on Netflix. So shortly after, Netflix had to make an announcement to say that they were canceling the show and the show wasn't going to make it to the next season. So again, I, I took to Twitter and I was saying, just to Netflix, right? To nobody else but Netflix saying, this is what happens when you don't listen to people. Many of us complained about this lady. And then now you've taken her on. Now shortly after you, you're forced because probably there wasn't enough viewership uh, to keep up the show. And now you're having to cancel. But from nowhere, this man, you know, this the high from America. <laughs> I think it's probably African American. But he, he came at me and said, uh, you know, it's not about conservatives. And he kind of, the first part of his speech was about uh, the show just being canceled for something else other than what I was thinking. Fine. I would have been fine with that. Everybody uh, gets to have their own opinion. It's not a problem. But then he had to end it by saying, oh, by the way, by the way, he said, you are a joke of a black person. <laughs> Which I thought was yeah. so insulting and so ridiculous. But instead of going back at him, I, I could think of a million different things you could say. You went back at him. It was so calm and and very much an educational process for him. But it still stung very much for him because he really thought he had you there. Yeah, I think so. But, but, but thank God for that because I'm hoping that at least through the public forum of Twitter, we can actually learn to converse, right? It's not like I wasn't angry. I could have said so many other things. When I saw how he insulted me and my, you know, there was, I wasn't talking about race. I wasn't talking about anything, you know, that even had to do with race at all. So his inappropriate comment uh, just uh, made me want to lash out. But thank goodness 
I think it was a better approach just to say, I am a Nigerian born and bred in Nigeria, brought up in Nigeria. Uh, you know, I can speak my traditional language, explain the traditions of my people, but I know also that I'll be very next to my ancestors, right, in Nigeria, in, in Igbo land, you know, where I come from, among the people of my tribe and among the people of my clan. And I asked him, so who are you? You know, where'd you come from? <laughs> Who's your tribe? So, <laughs> so hopefully that should, that should teach him just a little bit, don't you? We don't go out, and that, that, I think that goes for every one of us. We don't go out and question one's identity, you know, especially racial identity. You have no right to say that. Um, and even he could have been, you know, I was even thinking, he didn't even, you know, how, how do we say this? In Nigeria, he would be someone like a mixed race, right? Because so, I had looked at the picture and I thought, hold on, this guy is more like mixed race. But even I don't have a right to say to him, you're not black enough. We, we don't say that to people. <laughs> you, don't, you, don't, you, know, you don't say that to people. So why do why did, why did you think that you, looking at my name, that nobody can still pronounce because it's so African? You know, <laughs> looking at my picture, if you look a little bit at my timeline, you see I'm all about Africa. Where does this guy get off telling me that I'm a joke of a black person? Um, when you're in person, fact, who am I? It's, <laughs> it's just, it's just, it's astounding. And so, piggybacking off of that, Obi, I want, I want you to talk a little bit about because I think one of the things that has happened in America because of politics is that Black Americans mm-hmm. feel they don't have, that we feel we don't have this history that you have. You have a very proud history that you. You know it, you claim it, you're, you're very open about it. And when someone questions you, you don't hesitate to let them know, wait a minute, that's, uh, I know who I am. I know where I come from. And so we black Americans have that same pride of history in America. And that comes from, and I, I've, I've always known this, but I've heard it put so succinctly by Ann Coulter in one of her books. She talked about the shared history of white and black Americans because of slavery. And so slavery is not something that we're proud of, but it is a part of our history. And because of slavery, black Americans share a history with white Americans that is unique to us in this country. So what we do is we throw that away when we call ourselves African-Americans because we, you know, many of us like myself, I've never been to Africa. So it's, it's not that we don't want to be a part of Africa. It's that we have a shared history that goes back for generations here that we need to claim. So my question to you is, how do we, in, in the context of, first of all, the pro-life ethos, which is very much what you expounded when you told him who you were, you couldn't claim all of that and you know, be buried with your ancestors if Africa had a kind of idea of life that is prevalent in the West today, because there'd be much fewer of the people in your family. And that would be something that harms your generational, you you get to pass down your legacy. You can't do that when you have abortion ravaging the family tree. So how do we as black Americans become as strong in our history as you are in yours as a Nigerian woman? Right. So in Nigeria, I was brought up, you know, by the society, you know, the community where I came from. We believe so much in family, you know, bloodlines and and things like that, that we carry not just our own life, but we carry the legacy of the parents and grandparents and great-grandparents before us. But also the same goes for, I think, black Americans as well, because it doesn't matter that you are in America, you are American. 
you still come from somewhere. You didn't just show up. You still have your lineage going back generations, right? Wherever, mm-hmm. even if your 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 ancestors were were brought, unfortunately, in in chains and as slaves, but they still remain. The, the power of you know the, the strength of what was within their blood, their bloodlines, is what you carry. That's what African Americans carry, and that connects you all the way back for generations. Now, think about this. Every child, I mean, we're talking about ancestral, uh, uh, you know, lineage. It's going to the past, but it's also the descendants, right? And if we are thinking that of, of our humanity that way, um, we are also thinking in the future. But what is more in the future than a baby in the womb, right? So mm-hmm. a baby in the womb is also carrying the bloodlines of these parents of yours and your grandparents and your great-grandparents and people who have suffered and gone through so much. Is it then uh, not a terrible tragedy that those bloodlines should be shed on the uh, what I call the table of the abortionists? Right? Mm-hmm. Isn't it a shame that the bloodlines of your parents and grandparents and great grandparents who had so much hope in the generations, in their future generations, isn't it a tragic thing that the African American communities are now being torn apart by you know organizations like Planned Parenthood? That Planned Parenthood is not only aborting black babies, yeah, but they are also shedding blood. They are shedding uh, blood that sh- that should carry the legacy of 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 generations uh, past, and it's an unfortunate thing, and I think it's something that the African-American community should rise up and walk away from, you know, I've seen this walk away movement mm-hmm. from the, uh, from the, you know, from the Democratic Party, but there should also be a walk away movement from this whole quote-unquote pro-choice ideology, because the pro-choice ideology uh, is uh, antithetical, and it's in fact against uh, something like the belief of the bloodlines that go from generations past to the generations in the future. So, Obi, that was so beautifully put. And I believe that something, uh, uh, it, it has to be that we decide to start teaching children this from, you know, knee high up. They have to begin to learn that their lives are important and that they're valuable and that they're a part of our shared American history here in this country. And that as you, as you, you, when you, when you say bloodlines, it creates a mental picture of something that's unbroken, which means in order for it to be unbroken, you can't we, we can't we can't bow down to the God of abortion and sexual convenience and all of that. We have to really respect those bloodlines and take care of them. And I'm my, my hope and my prayer is that we will begin to teach this method of thinking of ourselves to our children and not just for black Americans, for any American who is raising a child right now. We have a unique heritage as the people of this nation that we want to preserve. And the way to do that is not to allow Planned Parenthood and, and individual abortionists who also contribute 600,000 or so abortions a year to the total to rob us of that. And that, that comes from the pit of hell. And that's why we have to fight against it. That and, and the fact that we're robbing ourselves of something that's so beautiful, the ability of my grandchild to say, you know, I, this is who I come from. The, I know who my parents and my grandparents and my great-grandparents are, which I actually do. I, I, my aunts on both sides of my family, my husband's aunt, and then my mom's, she's my mom's aunt, but she's my aunt too. And then another aunt on the other side, on my dad's side, they've all traced our history back to basically the moment we appeared on American soil. And it is amazing to see that. Yeah, so I, I, 
I know it's the truth that not only am I, am I an American, but that I this this is where I'm from, and there's nothing wrong with knowing that and then respecting it as opposed to what we're kind of seeing now. And, and it's just it's all from from the enemy, really. It it is. It is. It is. It is. And uh, for every child uh, killed through abortion, uh, executed in abortion, uh, we. we you know, it's like spitting on the grave, if I can say that, and spitting on the grave of the ancestors, because the generation, I don't think anyone would in their right mind, when you're thinking of your grandchild or your, your great-grandchildren, the ones you know you, you probably will not see, you know, five generations down, you should you would never be thinking, perhaps some of them will be aborted, you know, perhaps one of my great-great-granddaughters would get pregnant one day, she could have an abortion due to choice. No, whenever we are thinking about our future generations, even you as yourself, right, as faithy, you know, five generations from you, your hope is that those children will all bear something from you. You know, they will get a bit of your legacy. That means, essentially, that you're hoping that all of them, even subconsciously, you're hoping that all of them will leave. You know, all of them would get to leave, at least to be born, at least to leave out their, their destinies. Um, and, and that means... But abortion has no no place whatsoever in in the in our family lines. Abortion has no business in anyone's genealogy or anyone's family line because it breaks off. If we're honest, even for those who call themselves pro-choice, abortion put abortion anywhere in your family tree or your family genealogy, uh, it does nothing but break branches. So it has no business whatsoever being there. And if we're thinking about this holistically and we're thinking about this, you know, with with the, with the vision of God, in fact, that this should be a complete tree, a complete family tree, then that means that we should protect life, even even uh, even when we're not alive. You know, we should protect this idea that human beings should be allowed to be born and should be allowed to live out their lives. Absolutely. So, Obi, I know you came on today to talk about Strings Attached. It's a film. I'm on the website right now. The website is stringsattachedfilm.com. We have about a minute left. Tell us about this project. It's not yet out. I'm hoping I come back again on your show to talk about it. Strings Attached uh, is a documentary that I have just made. It's not out till January. I think it'll be released this is January 19th, 2019, so a day after the March for Life in D.C. Um, and it's a, a documentary I've made about the story of the Western uh, countries and how they fund things like abortion in African countries. So I have interviews from the West as well as interviews from different African countries. Uh, and it's uh, it's going to be just a little bit under an hour long. So it's, you know, it's not too long, but uh, it's feature length all the same. So everybody can go see it at stringsattachedfilm.com and get a good idea. You can look at the gallery. You can see some of the pictures we took on set. But it's a fantastic project, and I'm really grateful to have been uh, able to be a part of it with uh, all the people who have contributed uh, to, to this documentary to make it a reality. So now we have it all ready, and uh, it will be shown at hopefully the British Parliament sometime in October. We are yet to get a full confirmation of that, but it's really the story of Africa and the West. Well, what we're going to do is I'm going to look into when can we have a screening here? I'm going to check that out, and you will be back on Obi to talk about this. Thank you so much for your time today. I can't wait to talk to you again, my sister in Christ. Thank you for your time today. All right, we'll be back with more right after this. What does it take to live an uncommon life? 
Here's former Super Bowl winning coach Tony Dungy with today's Uncommon Moment. Michael Westbrook was a gifted wide receiver for the Washington Redskins and Cincinnati Bengals during an eight-year NFL career. He had succeeded at every level of football. Then at a relatively young age of 30, he retired and became active in mixed martial arts. Why? Because apparently he never even liked football, but felt he needed to play because it was expected of him. Many of us have experienced the expectations of others, but God made you the unique person you are. If your dreams develop in the process of seeking God's will and fit within his purposes, follow them. He wouldn't have given them to you if they were not important. Tony Dungy, author of the popular Uncommon book series. Discover more at CoachDungy.com. That's CoachDungy.com. This is Just a Minute with Stacy Washington. The state of Utah authorizes concealed carry permitted gun owners to bring lawfully owned concealed weapons on college campuses. At the University of Utah, a graduate assistant decided to punish gun owners with a new rule in the class syllabus. Gun owners must stand at the back in a taped off area with no desk. According to the syllabus, the act of bringing a gun to class is absurd, antisocial, and frightening behavior that requires a student to stand without a desk in a taped off three by three square in the rear of the classroom. Two students shared their horror on Facebook after the first day of class. Since that reporting, the spokesperson for U of Utah has rescinded the policy and the graduate assistant has been assigned to non-teaching duties. It is stunning how often the left-leaning people of America attempt to outright break the law in their efforts to prove their moral superiority on guns. Meanwhile, lawful gun owners utilize firearms to defend themselves from assailants 3.5 million times per year. I'm Stacey Washington. Find out more at StaceyOnTheRight.com. America's election headquarters. I'm Jessica Rosenthal in Arizona, where it is primary day, and Democratic voters here in Phoenix see a lot of opportunity. I really, truly think that there will be a, a handoff to the Democrats. Republican Jeff Flake is retiring from his Senate seat. Kristen Sinema is making a push on the Democratic side to turn that seat blue. Three Republicans, though, are fighting for it, including Joe Arpaio, Kelly Ward, and Martha McSally. McSally left her House seat, District 2, to run for Senate, and now Democrats see that House seat as a big opportunity as well. With voter registration in that district just about evenly split. Florida Democrats are expected to nominate U.S. Senator Bill Nelson for another term. He's one of NASA's biggest supporters. In Florida, we don't just reach for the stars. We travel to them. I know. I flew on the space shuttle. But Republicans are likely to send outgoing Governor Rick Scott to challenge him. Scott was the outsider when he became governor. I never planned to fit in, and I won't fit in Washington either. In Miami, Eben Brown, Fox News. This is Stacy on the Right with Stacy Washington on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. All right, welcome back to the show. So great to talk to Obi Ikiocha on the show again. Uh, I, I think it's, it's one thing when we talk about the pro-life issue as Americans from our perspective. It's another thing when we hear from someone who's in a country where we have just taken upon ourselves to export abortion. We just take it over there and drop it off. We, you know, set up an abortion center and then start teaching African women that they're getting pregnant too much and they need to have abortions because that's the way to prosperity. We actually do that as a country. And it's, it's a shame. It, it's, it's something that we should all feel very, you know, just like, wh- why are we doing that when we borrow so much money every day just to, just to run our bloated government why would we borrow some of it so we can send abortion to Africa? Those women don't need abortion. They need 
for their government to start to operate under a capitalistic bent. A capitalist society is going to have a lot more opportunity for these women and for the men in their lives and for these families start to, I mean, we, we already do our, our Christian uh, society, the Christian part of our society already sends missionaries and, and church plants and things like that. Medicines. We already do all of that. But why are we exporting abortion? It's as if we're saying we have vaccines and we have medicine for you. And we also have this dastardly evil thing over here as well. Have, have some of all of it. It's like a buffet of, good things. And then there's one big, huge, bad thing on it. And we're like, don't forget to get some of that too. It's crazy. Um, so I don't, I don't, I don't want that to be our legacy, but it is, it is our legacy right now. And the only way to change that is to change the people that we're sending to Washington, DC. They have to be pro-life who cares what their title is. They have to be pro-life. They have to be people that believe that all human life is sacred and important. So we were talking about Lanny Davis yesterday, and we mentioned him also again on the show uh, during, well, it was during that audio clip from Jimmy Dore's show where he was talking about Dylan Radigan and the Russian collusion. And if you miss the story, or I, I just want to kind of close this loop. You got Lanny Davis saying he doesn't know whether President Donald Trump has advanced knowledge of Russian hacks of Democrats. Now, he previous to that, as an unnamed source, said that he did know that the president had advanced knowledge of the Russian hacks of the Democrats. The problem is the hacks weren't done by Russians. WikiLeaks has already said that it wasn't the Russians who hacked the DNC. So Russians bought ads on Facebook. Russians played influence games, but Russians did not hack the DNC. It was hacked, but it wasn't the DNC. WikiLeaks would cease to exist if they were ever found to be peddling stuff that they couldn't verify. That's, that's a part of what WikiLeaks does is they verify the sourcing and then they leak out the information. If for them to come out and say it wasn't the Russians, it's, real, it's, it's not the Russians. We don't have to worry about their veracity because their record is clean thus far. So you got Lanny Davis. He's an attorney for Michael Cohen. He's also out of Clinton world, not a little out of Clinton world. He's deeply embedded in Clinton world. So during interviews, he said and this, this a few, just a couple days ago, he lays out this grave allegation against Trump saying that Cohen had information that would be of interest to special counsel, Robert Mueller. And he also said that the information that he had was about the Russian hacking of the Democrats' emails. But then he also said when he was speaking on MSNBC's Rachel Maddow program that Cohen, a former lawyer for Trump, had knowledge about the computer crime of hacking and whether or not Mr. Trump knew ahead of time about the crime or even cheered it on. Now, remember, Donald Trump didn't say during the debate that he was going to hack, that, that the Russians should hack the emails of Hillary Clinton. He said 33 emails, 33,000 emails have been deleted. If the Russians could find them, they should give them back and we would all be very grateful for that, for that. So if emails have been deleted and, you know, kind of sent out into the, the ether and they're found, then that means there was no hacking involved. 
So the president, when he was a candidate, never asked the Russians to hack. The president asked the Russians to, if they could find the 33,000 deleted emails, to return them. So this is, again, this is huge. And the reason it's huge is because we see just how far the media has gone to lie about what the president has said. And they don't just lie about it and it's like one or two outlets. They lie in a very coordinated fashion in order to bring about the kind of result that they want, which is deranged people on Twitter saying that any person who ever, you know, believes anything that isn't from the Washington Times or the Washington uh, or the Washington Post or the New York Times, all the lies that they spread, if you don't believe those, then you're the one who's deranged. You're the one who doesn't have the correct information. When the fact is, they've been lying and covering over their tracks, like, just constantly. That's it, that it has been an ever, never-ending saga of that. So then you have, in another interview, Lanny Davis of, of, of Clinton Extraction has information that would be of interest to Mr. Mueller in his probe of a conspiracy to corrupt American democracy, very similar to the indictment of the 12 Russians. But the indictment of the 12 Russians didn't have anything to do with Donald Trump either. So the indictment that has been, well, there, was char- there were charges against uh, Michael Cohen. Those didn't have anything to do with collusion or you know, Russians or anything like that. It was all about this payment to the, the, the two women. All of the allegations that were brought against uh, Manafort, same deal. Manafort is bringing about this. It's a prosecution that's based solely upon the fact that he was once Donald Trump's campaign manager, but it has nothing to do with collusion or Russians, which was the original reason for the appointment of the special prosecutor. So everywhere we look, we see all of this falling apart. Davis is a close ally of Bill and Hillary Clinton. He also went on the record with Washington Post to reveal that he was an anonymous source for a story asserting that Cohen was willing to tell Mueller that he witnessed Trump approving of the June 16 meeting at Trump Tower with a group of Russians offering dirt on Hillary Clinton, which is also not a crime. Opposition researchers often reach out to campaigns offering information that they have on the opposing candidate. Having a meeting with them, no matter what their background is, is not a crime. In addition to that, we now have news breaking today that Hillary Clinton's email was actually broken into by the Chinese while she was the Secretary of State using the homebrew server. And here's the most crucial part of that story. They actually put something on her email, a code that allowed them to receive her emails as she received them and receive copies of the outgoing emails as she sent them. While she was secretary of state, she emailed classified information from that homebrewed server that the Chinese had a copy of every single bit of it. And they had it the whole time. She was emailing the president of the United States and he was emailing her back. She was emailing her, her subordinates at the state department. She was emailing any person in any governmental agency that needed something from her that emailed her and she emailed them back. The Chinese have copies of all of those ingoing and outgoing messages. 
why we're still talking about Donald Trump instead of talking about her is it's kind of crazy. It's a double standard and it's kind of ridiculous. Now, I'm not sure what's going on. We we're we're still waiting on our guest call in um for today. I have not had a cancellation uh for um today. So We'll see. We'll see what's, what's going to happen with that. But right now, since we have some time and we normally take calls during this segment, if you'd like to call in, 866-963-2037. I have a ton more to cover over here in my stacks of information for today's show. But I want to give you a chance to weigh in since we don't have our guest right now, and this is usually when we take calls. So 866-963-2037. Um, and we can, we can kind of... I'm just sending a little quick email here about our guest. Um, We can talk about it if you'd like to. So another bit of breaking news is about um, pumpkin spice latte. So if you are like me and you enjoy the taste of pumpkin spice or pumpkin flavored things, real pumpkin, not just the flavor, like pumpkin muffins, pumpkin pancakes, et cetera, et cetera then you would be excited to know that Starbucks, off and again, off again, Starbucks, has just brought back pumpkin spice today instead of waiting until like, you know, the end of September, beginning of October. So they brought it back early. And one of the things that we're excited about with this is that um, it's causing a furor on Twitter. So I was actually, I had tears streamed down my face a little bit ago I was on Twitter and I was looking at the tweets about all of the drama that's going on because some people are actually enraged that the pumpkin spice is back early because they hate pumpkin spice. Now, I don't know what would possess you to be angry that a certain kind of food is available that you don't like because you don't have to eat it. It's not like we're in a torture session here where you're being force fed the food. But other people are just giddy over it, like me. I'm absolutely excited because that means... um, that we can enjoy, if you will, um, the pumpkin spice right now, which is so exciting. But like, if you're excited about it, like me, I'm just, I was just laughing because everyone is, is tweeting things like memes of babies dancing about the stock market being up and also pumpkin spice. Like what else could you want in life besides those things? And I got to say, I'm pretty happy uh, that it's back. Now I'm, also happy because it's Dunkin' Donuts. They have to match what they're doing. Dunkin' Donuts is also bringing back their pumpkin spiced items, and they have a bunch of stuff. Like they have these pumpkin spice waffles, um, some kind of donuts, of course. I'm not eating those. And then they also have their pumpkin spice coffee that they sell. But one of the creamer companies has pumpkin spice creamer, and they have a recipe for making your own pumpkin spice latte at home using their creamer and some other ingredients. And that's the one I'm going to be using. Not because I don't drink coffee out, but because I need to cut back on the Starbucks now that the oldest has gone off to college. Because you know, you guys know I'm not in favor of Starbucks. I'm not a huge fan of them simply because they are really anti-friendly to gun owners. And we will be in the last segment of the show, we'll be talking about, um, there's, there's this big stat that's out that says there were 235 school shootings um, in the 2015 to 2016 school year. And people are using that stat a lot. I've even seen it 
misquoted as 213 or 235 school shootings just since January of this year to now. These are not true statistics. It's not true. And so what I'd like to do is debunk that. And we will when we get back in the next segment. Or actually, it'll be the third segment of the second hour. Um, Oh, let's go to the phones. Bob from Ohio. Thanks for calling the show today. Yeah, how are you? Good. You there? Yes, I am. What's your comment? Hello? Okay. Yeah, I was just, you know, I, it's funny, you know, I, I run this through my head also. Why isn't Hillary being investigated? Blah, blah, blah. And I just think the deep state's sold out. A lot of the Congress people are sold out. Um, you know, President Obama, um, you know, corresponded with Hillary on that server. And that's kind of old news that Louis Gohmert had talked about that in the hearing. And why all of a sudden is it breaking, breaking news? I guess my question, but... Um, I had a comment from yesterday, I guess I wasn't able to get through about, uh, you know, I, I, I wish, you know, what Rush Limbaugh said about President Obama failing and, you know, I agreed with that. And I agreed with, uh, the Clinton's failure. I think the only thing that Bill Clinton did was, uh, welfare reform that I'd agreed with. But, mm-hmm. and he had made a comment, your guest yesterday about, uh, flying a plane. You don't want the pilot to fail. Well, if you're heading towards a mountain... And you're going to slam into the side of the mountain. Well, yeah, I want that pilot to fail and, and not uh, pilot that ship. And I feel the same way about the country, you know? Yeah, yeah, I understand that, too. Thank you so much for calling the show. Um, Jake from Arizona, you have like 30 seconds. What's your comment? <laughs> Hello. Hi, what's your comment? Uh, I'm from BB, Arkansas, not Arizona. Oh, okay. All right. From Arkansas. Okay. Ar- Arkansas, thank you so much for calling. Uh, yes, ma'am. Uh, the thing about me is uh, I, I teach Bible class, and I was, preach, I was teaching on racism. And this one lady, she said, I said, who know anybody that's a racist? She said, Donald Trump. And I said, uh, all right, explain why Donald Trump is a racist. People don't get it. He said, because he don't treat his wife right. Or I said, if somebody treat women bad, I feel it's a male chauvinist. That's not racism. And so I am a man of color. So they uh, tells me that uh, I'm wrong for voting for Donald Trump and people getting a hard time. So I'm a preacher and my whole congregation is white except me and my two grandkids. And people, and people don't understand that. But what I want to say is that Russia did not have influenced me to vote for Donald Trump. Hillary Clinton Oh, amen to that. Thank you so much for calling the show. That's the end of our one. We'll be back with our two. Go to urbanfamilytalk.com to live stream us. We'll be right back after these messages. Stay there.